guys. Welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I am your host, Merritt Beck, and I am the writer behind the fashion and lifestyle blog, The Style Scribe. After about 10 years of creating content and cultivating a loyal following on my blog and on Instagram, I decided to mix it up and start a podcast in 2021. One of my favorite parts of my job has been connecting with so many like-minded women discussing all things life, work, and love, and I really wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. I like to describe the Beck and Call podcast as a weekly morning show where I share new recs and reviews, chat with the occasional guest, answer listener questions, and discuss fun, relevant topics for women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. So from my egg freezing journey and dating in my 30s to the good, bad, and the ugly of dog and homeownership, there's a little bit of something here for everyone. I'm so happy you're here. So let me be at your beck and call and let's jump into this week's episode. I feel like it's been so long since I recorded last, but it's actually been less than two weeks. I told y'all in last week's pre-recorded episode that I was planning to record an episode in Carmel with either my mom or my sister or both of them, but unfortunately that didn't happen and it is all my fault. So <laughs> I'd started packing up all of my podcast equipment in a carry-on roller bag and it was so heavy. Like I have pretty good equipment. I got it all on sweetwater.com. I think that's the website, but It's all like professional equipment. And so it's not like lightweight and cheap. It's pretty heavy, bulky stuff. And I was planning to put it in a carry-on and it was all so heavy. I was worried about the equipment just banging around together in there. And I eventually got so overwhelmed. I just threw in the towel completely and left it all at home. And I'm bummed I didn't get a chance to record in Carmel, but it was actually sort of a blessing in disguise. So because of what I do, I typically end up working quite a bit on every trip I take, whether that's shooting outfits for the blog and Instagram, scheduling posts and newsletters, and now recording the podcast. And while I did shoot a few outfits in Carmel, I otherwise did not work. I even turned off my story replies on Instagram so I didn't have to field as many DMs or questions while I was there. And it ended up being such a relaxing trip and a really nice break that I could fully enjoy and be present for. So I'm actually really grateful for that. But because of that, I, I actually didn't have a plan for this week's episode because I was planning to talk to either my mom or sister. So as I mentioned on the Beck and Call podcast Instagram, which you should follow, by the way, I wanted to share a recap of my Carmel trip and some of our favorite restaurants and then decided to do sort of a mixed bag Q&A because, like I said, didn't really have a plan for this episode. So let's get into the Carmel recap first. So For my first evening there, we went to a place called The Shelter, and it's part of the Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which my mom and stepdad are members of. And it's one of their favorite places to go, but it gets packed super quickly. So we always go really early, which worked out in my favor since I was on Dallas time. And so we got there at like 445, which was like 645 for me. And we got a spot. We had a great view. They have amazing food, especially the apps. And this time we got the hummus and veggie plate and their chicken wings. But they also have like delicious nachos, fried green beans and so much more. Um, It is a private club, so you can only go with a member. But I highly recommend it if you do know someone who is a member at MPCC. It's a great casual spot and the food is so good. Just consistently amazing. And then on Monday morning, we hit up Point Lobos which if you've never been to Carmel, it's a short, it's a nature reserve. That's like a short drive away from Carmel. It's like just on the other side of the bay. If you want to call it that, it's not really a bay, but um, like just on the other side of the water, you can actually see it from Carmel beach, Pebble beach and all of that. You can see Point Lobos. And 
I wanted to go on Monday because the forecast looked like it was going to be cloudy the rest of the week and Monday looked beautiful. And so we went Monday morning and I'm so glad we did because I think it was the prettiest it's ever been when I've been there. It's usually like overcast or overcast. I'm talking so fast. Overcast or cloudy. And it ended up being just perfect weather. Uh, We walked along the beach. We stopped by China Cove, which is the best place to go because they have a ton of seals. And right now all the seals are pregnant. (laughs) They usually give birth in April. Um, So that's a good time to go to Point Lobos if you haven't been. But they are known for their wildlife. Like I said, nature reserve. You can hike. There's sort of a beach hike and then you can sort of hike in the woods. It's not anything particularly strenuous. They're just sort of long paths but it's always so beautiful and relaxing and just really nice place to visit if you're going to Carmel or Monterey or anywhere in that area. After spending a few hours at Point Lobos, we went back into Carmel by the Sea for brunch at the Stationery, which has quickly become one of our favorite brunch spots. The menu is super delicious and creative, and I would say it's a little more trendy than a lot of the restaurants there. I feel like it's a little more fresh and current. If you've never been to Carmel, Carmel definitely has sort of an older clientele. A lot of the people who have homes there or just visit, um, like really popular with people my my mom's age who go out there from Texas to escape the heat in the summer and all of that. But um, I feel like a lot of the restaurants out there definitely cater to an older clientele and the stationery feels a little younger. And like I said, a little more fresh and creative, but I highly recommend the rose geranium latte. That was a special they had, but they have had the rose latte before, but the geranium little bit was added when I was there last time, but that was really good. And they also have Fentiman's rose lemonade, which is delicious. My mom and I are obsessed with that. I think you can actually buy it at World Market and maybe some other places, but it's just, they have great drinks, great coffees, different kind of cool, creative coffees. And then the menu, I've only ever been for brunch, but they do have dinner. But I got the potato pancake, which is basically just a giant hash brown with a jammy egg and usually a smoked trout mixture on top. But because of some delivery or supply chain issue, they did not get their trout delivery this week or the week that I went. Um, And so they added prosciutto instead. And it was so delicious. (laughs) They also have a burger. They have a salad. They have uh, biscuits and gravy, which my mom got. You could just do like two eggs any style. They have a lot of really good baked goods. Like their biscuits are good. I think they have a scone and some other little things um, as part of the menu. And then they had, they have avocado toast, this ricotta toast, which sounded so good, but I'd already had sort of a sweet oatmeal that morning, but there was a ricotta toast with like caramelized apples and some other, I don't know, it, it sounded really good, but hopefully it'll be on the menu when I go in April and I can get it then. After brunch, we went home to shower and get ready for the day since we'd been hiking around and were kind of gross. The walk at Point Lobos ended up being a lot warmer. Solar heat is or solar energy or whatever really makes a difference. And it was really sunny. So we ended up getting pretty hot. But we went back after brunch to shower and then shopped around town. And a few places we love going when visiting Carmel is Carmel Plaza, which is sort of their mall. And they have a Bottega Veneta. There's a store called House of Cardoon, which is super cute. It's a lot of really bright, colorful things. They have home stuff. They have some accessories. It's just a really cute store that's unique to Carmel. It's not other places. Um, They have an anthropology, an R house. Carmel Plaza is just kind of like a mall, but it's all outdoors. And then a couple of other stores to check out are GBG and Palouche, which are owned by the same company. 
and it's like contemporary and designer stuff. So when I've purchased like uh, the Zimmerman dress I purchased last time I went or the Tanya Taylor dress or just some other random things, I usually get a GBG. That's my favorite. Um, and Palouche is a little more casual version of that. They have a lot of t-shirts and button down shirts, jeans, sweatshirts, that kind of thing. And another store, which is kind of new as, as of last year, I think, I think they opened a few weeks before I visited last time is Brochu Walker, which is a a brand you might've seen on like Shopbop and some other labels, but it's really, or stores online. Sorry. It's really nice cashmere. They have really pretty pieces. I always find something there and it's kind of perfect for Carmel and that weather. So I hope, I hope they make it. I hope it does well in that location, but I got a really, really pretty thick knit puff sleeve sweater. It's sort of an ivory color. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, I have an obsession with ivory sweaters. Literally half of my sweaters are ivory. (laughs) So I don't know why, but I just gravitate towards that color this time of year, I guess. Um, And then another store to check out is Elizabeth W. It's a great spot for like gifty items. They have a lot of like soaps. They have games. They have not really toys, but like little teddy bears and stuff. If you have kids, you're getting gifts for it. It's like a hodgepodge of stuff. They have a ton of different stuff, but it's a really cute chic store. And then Diggity Dog Carmel is where I buy Reese's stuff when I visit. So I got her a St. Patrick's Day toy while I was there. And before, after I first got her, I got her some really cute sweaters. She has now grown out of those. So I need to get her some more, but it's a great little store. If you have a dog, they have lots of cute stuff. And then on this trip, we actually discovered a new store, which originated in Jackson Hole. It's called Bella Cosa. And I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. It's B-E-L-L-E. C-O-S-E. But like I said, it originated in Jackson Hole, but now has several locations. And the Carmel location is new as of just a few weeks ago. Um, And it's a small little spot right over by Elizabeth W. and Diggity Dog. But they have a really interesting collection of designers and brands. They have crew eyewear. They have March 11. And while we're on the subject of that, March 11 is a Ukrainian artisan-made label, and Bella Koza is actually donating 15% of all March 11 sales to Save the Children this month, the month of March. And Save the Children is raising money for the crisis in Ukraine, so definitely a good opportunity to give back and also shop at the same time. But my mom picked up a gorgeous blue and white embroidered blouse, as well as this stunning maxi dress. It was also blue, but had multicolor floral embroidery all over it and these giant sleeves. It's just dramatic and incredible. I love it and can't wait to see her wear it this spring summer. But definitely check out Bella Cosa when you are in Carmel. They have other locations which you can check out on their Instagram, which is Bella Cosa Jackson Hole, I believe. But definitely check them out and shop March 11 this month. After we finished shopping, we went over to the bench at Pebble Beach for drinks, followed by dinner at the tap room. And Pebble Beach is always a great go-to on Carmel. If you've never been, the bench is famous for its location because it looks out on the 18th hole of the golf course and has a beautiful view of the water. And they have a ton of fire pits you can cozy up to, grab wine, grab apps, and watch the players come through on their final hole. So that's always sort of a fun little spot to go, especially if you're traveling with men. Great spot to go. Um, like the MPCC shelter I mentioned earlier, you sort of have to get to the bench really early if you want to snag a good table or a fire pit. So I would go at like 4.30 or 5. 
The bench has a ton of great apps, which I mentioned, but it is more of a limited menu, whereas the tap room is kind of a steakhouse vibe. It's always very popular. They have artichoke soup. They have all kinds of meats and fish dishes. I got the wedge, which was so satisfying. I really enjoyed it. My mom says the coconut cake is one of the best she's ever had, and she is obsessed with coconut. So definitely take her word for it and order that the next time you go. But That's always a fun place to go. Like I said, with men who are into golf, Pebble Beach is definitely a must do. My sister ended up flying home on Tuesday morning. So it was just my mom and me the rest of the trip. My sister works at Neiman Marcus. I think I've mentioned this before, but she generally works Wednesday to Saturday. So she did need to get home for that. And she also flew in earlier with my mom on Friday, whereas I flew out on Sunday. So she had some extra time. I had some extra time and it all kind of worked out that way. But Uh, My mom and I went on a long beach walk that morning, followed by lunch at Basil's. It's a small Italian restaurant sort of tucked away, but right in the middle of town. It's in this little inlet where there's some shops, Um, but they have delicious pastas, salads, pizzas, etc. It's just kind of a fun little place to sit down outside. You kind of want to sit everywhere outside. It's so nice. But we wandered around a little bit after lunch and then headed over to Spanish Bay, which is another must do if you're in the area. You've got to go for happy hour and watch the bagpiper. It's a tradition they've been doing for decades. The times the bagpiper plays will vary depending on the time of year you go based on the sunset time and all of that. So be sure to check out their website for details. It's Spanish Bay. Um, And then after that, my mom and I went to MPCC, which is their country club and went to dinner. On Wednesday, we basically did the same thing. So a long beach walk followed by lunch and shopping. But this time we had lunch at Village Corner, which is one of my favorite spots for lunch. And we actually haven't been there in a while. I just find it wholly charming and the food and service is great. And I ended up getting the sand dab sandwich, which I was personally very excited to see on the menu. They used to have a calamari steak sandwich that I loved, but for some reason took it off the menu a few years ago and haven't had anything on there like it since. And Looking at the menu this trip, I saw that they'd added a sand dab sandwich, which ended up being the perfect replacement for the calamari steak sandwich I used to love. So, so excited about that. Uh, We also got an artichoke with like kind of mixed vegetables on top. It was really good. But after we got bored of shopping after lunch, we went back to my mom's house and did a little mahjong. So I've been playing. I know I've talked about it a lot. My mom has played before, but it's been a really long time. My grandmother played a lot. And I just taught her some of the basics. It's obviously hard to do with just two people, but I was able to teach her the suits and um, like reading the card and all of that. And hopefully we'll get to play a little bit more when I go back for um, Easter and maybe I'll teach my sister too, but I'm really enjoying the game. So I I want them to learn so we can all play. (laughs) So that was fun. And for my final dinner in Carmel, we went to Anton and Michelle's. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the restaurants kind of cater to an older clientele and Anton and Michelle's is definitely one of them, but I've honestly never had a bad meal there and the service is great and they've got a really fun little cozy fireplace that serves as a bar area. So lots of great apps. If you want to go there for apps before dinner, um, just check that out. It's a little old fashioned, but I always love it. So I flew out on Thursday, but we managed to fit in one more beach walk and then had lunch at La Bicyclette, which is actually owned by the same people who own Casanova. And both are super popular Italian leaning restaurants in Carmel. And our lunch at La Bicyclette was my favorite meal of the trip. And I do not understand why we haven't gone back. I feel like I had to beg my mom to go. Sometimes I feel like 
we have picky eaters in my family. Morris and my sister are both picky eaters. And if they have like one bad experience at a restaurant, they never want to go back. But y'all, La Bicyclette was so good. And my mom and I had the best time. We got beautiful and delicious salads. I got the citrus avocado salad. It was so colorful and oh, so delicious. And then we followed that with a winter truffled pizza and we even got chocolate mousse. <laughs> we went all out. But um, my mom and I are desperate to go back and really want to try the brunch menu, which they only do on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So I'm hoping we can go over Easter. Um, but like I said, it was truly the best lunch ever. Cannot recommend La Bicyclette enough. I do like Casanova, but I feel like we always go there. So I was sort of glad I didn't go there on this trip. Um, it's just like traditional Italian. It does have sort of a fun vibe, but I highly recommend La Bicyclette. Really, really enjoyed our experience there. And after that, I just sort of headed off. She dropped me off at the airport. I headed home. The flight was about four hours. So I ended up not getting home until around 8, 8.30, but I was pretty tired. I ended up going to sleep at a pretty reasonable hour, even though I was kind of on California time at the end of the trip. Um, but it was a great trip. Like I said, super relaxing. I did want to mention some of the other restaurants that I didn't go to on this trip. I do go several times a year now because my mom and stepdad have a place there. And so we try to go to different places each time I go. But I wanted to recommend some other restaurants that I didn't mention already. Um, and just FYI, all of this stuff is on my blog. If you go to the stylescribe.com in the travel section, I have travel guides for literally every city I've ever been to, which has lists of restaurants, hotels, things to do. So go to the stylescribe.com for more of this stuff. But some other restaurants to check out while you're here, I would definitely recommend grazings, really great for lunch. Um, like I said, the stationery I mentioned, Le Escargo, if you're looking for a really nice date night dinner, you have an anniversary or just want kind of a more fine dining experience, Le Escargo is one of my mom and Morris's favorite places. And then some new spots um, in the last year or so, The Pocket and Le Souffle are two new places. I mentioned Casanova. Portabella is really good for lunch. It's kind of right in the shopping area on the main street in Carmel by the Sea. The Jazz Brunch at Cypress Inn is really great. I mean, there are just a lot of good places. Oh, the Sandbar and Grill, which is actually down in Monterey. That's really fun. Anyway, hope that list was helpful and my recap was helpful. I did have a lot of people request that I share what we did on this trip. So there's lots of great shopping. We pretty much just like eat, drink, shop go on long walks. That's sort of it. It's very, it's a very relaxing, calming place. And just a reminder, go to the stylescribe.com to the travel section, click on California, then Carmel, and you will find my travel guide right there. I took Friday pretty easy because, you know, I got in semi late for me <laughs> on Thursday night and just kind of needed to be antisocial. Um, I also knew I had a big day ahead of me on Saturday. So Park House, which is sort of like Soho House, it's um, a social club here in Dallas. They had a huge opera ski themed party uh, during the day from like two to six on Saturday. And my friends and I reserved tickets for it weeks ago and we dressed up. We did a little pregame at my friend Katie's house. It was a really wild and fun day. But luckily, I managed to survive unscathed and had a pretty regular day on Sunday. And since Reese's was in her cradle afternoon, I treated her to a very long walk on Sunday morning and gave her a much needed bath. She always comes home a little dirty from pebble dog behavior. So I gave her a bath and I also got some work done. I cleaned up around the house, um, but didn't really have anything major to do yesterday, which was really nice because I just kind of 
needed one more day to relax and reset after vacay so I could get in the right headspace for Monday. But I did watch a lot of TV and a movie that I recommend. So let's get into that. The first thing I watched was Pieces of Her, which is on Netflix, and it's based on the novel by Karen Slaughter. And I started it after the Opry Ski Party on Saturday. And spoilers ahead, so fast forward if you don't want to hear about it, but it's about a local tragedy that thrusts a mother, played by Toni Collette, into the spotlight, which then exposes some long-held secrets she's kept from her daughter about their lives. I love Toni Collette and thought she did a great job, but I wasn't overly impressed with Bella Heathcote's acting in this. I don't know about y'all, but I I often struggle with actors playing characters um, not in their original accent. So like Americans playing British people or Australian people and the other way around. And I believe she's Australian and she's playing an American girl and her accent slips through occasionally. And it causes her speech and lines to feel kind of labored or forced at times, which makes it just feel unnatural and almost just like bad acting. (laughs) I don't know if they're related, but that's just sort of how I digest it when I'm watching it. And it, like I said, it bothers me both ways when Americans try to play British people or Australian people and the other way around. But I don't know why it's just it makes them less believable. It doesn't feel natural. It just it's not my favorite. I also I never read the book, so this is the original problem. But I I didn't love the storyline of domestic terrorism and that organization that sort of felt thrown in there. I don't know. I feel like there were so many complicated elements to this story that it made it flow sort of poorly. And I think they could have trimmed it down a lot and done fewer episodes like the last few episodes. It could have ended episode six or seven. I don't even remember how many episodes there were, but I just remember feeling like it was coming to a close several times only to have it continue for quite a while. So I was like, when is this going to end? All in all, I'd probably give it a five out of 10. I don't highly recommend it, but it was decently enjoyable. And it is sort of like a who done it, who's following her. You're trying to figure out the story. I found the first like five episodes the most enjoyable as they started doing flashbacks and stuff later on. I didn't love those as much, but it was a decently enjoyable watch for like a lazy weekend. So take that with what you will. On the flip side of that, I loved The Weekend Away. This is a movie on Netflix that just came out and it stars Leighton Meester, who I was so excited to see in something new. I love her so much and think she is an amazing actress. And I'm basing this off of her Gossip Girl performance. She was great in Gossip Girl, like covered all range of emotions. I just thought she was so believable in that character. And I could just totally picture her being like that in real life. But you know, that's not it. And that's how I know she's a good actress. So I've sort of rooted for her since Gossip Girl. And it's a bummer because I think Blake Lively seems to have had a bigger career since that show ended. And I honestly think Leighton is a better actress and deserves great roles, too. And she just I I know she's like kind of headlined a TV show. I don't know how well that's done. I haven't seen it. But the other thing she's been in, I haven't loved. And this one, I think she kills it. I think it's such a good I thought it was such a good movie. So (laughs) it's kind of a thriller. And it's about an American girl living in London who visits her friend for a weekend away in Croatia. And her friend goes missing the first night of their trip. And Beth, played by Leighton, works really hard to find her with almost zero help from the police. She kind of teams up with the taxi driver who is driving them around. There are a ton of twists and turns and secrets are inevitably exposed. And you're constantly wondering who the villain of the story is and what happened that night. And I just think they did a really 
good job of telling the story and making like weaving in and out of everything. And it really kept me on my toes and held my attention the entire time. So I highly recommend it if you're into mysteries and thrillers. But one more thing I wanted to say about it that I really liked was how they incorporated Beth as a new mom into the storyline and how it was sort of at odds with her friend who is child free and still partying a lot. It really humanized her character in a way so few movies like this do, I think, and made the movie feel more real and like I was there and like this could really happen. And anyway, I just love that. Like she's wearing granny panties. She talks about her boobs are going to explode because she's like breastfeeding and away from her baby and she needs to go back to the room, whatever. I just the way they wove it in was relatable in a way, again, like I don't feel like is portrayed in a lot of movies. So you can watch The Weekend Away on Netflix. Thank me later. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Like I said, it's sort of a thriller mystery movie, but Leighton Meester was great. Definitely check it out. Like I mentioned earlier, I was not sure what to do for this episode because I was on vacation, didn't have much time to plan the content for it. And so I decided to just do a Q&A and I asked everyone on Instagram to submit questions for me to answer. So that's what I'm going to do right now. The first question, what are your favorite spring trends? So I don't really follow specific trends, but I do love color trends. So for example, right now I'm really loving the Citron chartreuse, highlighter-esque hues I'm seeing in a bunch of collections. Think like the pale lime theory coat I wore in Carmel or the Bottega bag I just bought in the lemon washed color. It's fresh and fun, but it's still pretty wearable and it's not so bright it's blinding or distracting, but it's a cool change for my usual neutrals. I'm also seeing a ton of lavender this season too, if that highlighter hues look isn't really your thing, but I just love, like I said, how fresh this color looks. It's It's bright enough and a fun color to add into the mix without it being too much of a non-neutral. Like I think it'll still work with a lot of things in my closet. So I'm just excited about that color trend, I guess. All right. Question number two, what are some of your biggest pet peeves? So for me, the things that bother me most are when people don't show respect for my time. So if they run really late all the time and don't let me know until like the time they're supposed to meet me, like give me a 30 minute heads up that you're running late. Don't tell me while I'm arriving at the restaurant that you're going to be 30 minutes late. It's rude. It shows a lack of respect for my time. I think if you know you're going to be running late, you should give people as much time as you can to let them know so they don't for example, leave the house too early so they're not just sitting at the restaurant or in the car waiting on your ass to get there. I just find it really rude when that happens often. Like at at a certain point, you've just got to realize you're not good at being on time and you've just got to set yourself up for success. So set your watches forward so you think you're going to be later than you are. Whatever it is, it's like a fundamental problem for some people. And that just bothers me. Another thing that bothers me that's sort of related is flaky people. I am a very reliable person. I will show up when I'm supposed to. I'm always there for the people when they need me, for my friends and all of that. And I'm always down to hang out. It is very rare that I cancel plans. I totally understand the need for people to cancel plans and like respect people wanting to have a day off or whatever and not having to socialize. I get all of that. My issue is when people cancel at the last minute. 
cancel the day before, the week before. As soon as you know you want to cancel, cancel. Don't lead me to believe we're going to hang out until like 30 minutes or an hour before. I've had this happen to me so many times. It's so infuriating. I just don't like flaky people. I just think it shows, again, a lack of respect for my time. I think, I don't know. I just, it irritates me. Those are probably my two biggest pet peeves, people being consistently late and people flaking on me a lot. All right. Somebody asked, as an introvert, how do you push yourself to go out on dates? So I'm actually not an introvert at all. If you listen to the personality test episode, which is episode 21, my Myers-Briggs is ESTJ, which is extroversion, sensing, thinking, and judging. With that said, though, I think most people these days get annoyed with the idea of going out on a lot of first dates, especially when it comes to the apps. And I'm perfectly comfortable chatting with strangers. So while first dates have never been much of a challenge for me, I dislike them because so many of them have been awful. So I can totally relate to not wanting to go on dates. <laughs> I, can, I can relate in that sense, just not wanting to go. It's not so much that I'd have trouble talking with somebody, but it's just like the bar is so low. Like they're just so awful most of the time. Although I will say I went on a really great app date uh, last weekend. The week, the, it was like the day before I left for Carmel. It was maybe the best app date I've ever had. (laughs) So if that gives you guys hope, I hope it does, because I have had very few good app dates over the years, and I'm not sure what's going to happen with this guy, but it gives me hope that there are still normal people out there and some of them are on the apps. So I just wanted to share that quickly. But um, I totally feel you about not wanting to go on dates and feeling like you have to push yourself to do it because it is exhausting. But dating is a numbers game. And you know what they say, it only takes one, but you kind of just got to suck it up and do it. The more dates you go on, the more comfortable you'll be on future dates. And it takes practice, just like anything else. You're not going to be naturally good at something most of the time if you haven't done it before or done it a lot. And the more you socialize and engage in conversations with strangers, the better you'll be at doing that on future dates. So one of the best tips I have for anyone going on dates is to ask a lot of questions. People love talking about themselves. And not only will you find out just about anything you need to know to decide whether you want to go out with this person again, it keeps the conversation moving, even if the other person isn't super talkative. So I would suggest having a list of questions. And if it helps, you can put it on your phone. And when they go to the bathroom or you go to the bathroom, you can reference the list but just keep asking questions. It'll keep the date from feeling boring or um, slow. Just keep the conversation moving by having a good list of questions to work with to get to know the person. But like I said, practice makes perfect. So while it may not be something you love to do, you can get good at it. And I just would recommend trying to go on more dates, putting yourself in those situations that make you Um, maybe uncomfortable, maybe you are an introvert and practicing by asking questions and coming up with good conversation topics for those dates, because the more you do it, the better at it you'll be, the more comfortable you'll be on the dates and more open to, um, new things and new people. All right. This question is a doozy. I read this and I was like, uh, 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 my parents called my boyfriend's ex-wife to get dirt on him after we first met. What would Merritt do? Oh, honey, no. <laughs> I personally think this is so inappropriate and invasive of your parents to do. Do you want your parents all up in your business like that forever? Because if not, I'd nip this in the bud 
ASAP. Sure. I want my mom's opinion and advice from time to time, and I'll I'll reach out to her when I want it. But I would never be okay with her inserting herself into my love life like that. If your parents are willing to go to those lengths now, imagine what they'd be capable of doing if and when you get married and have kids. I would highly recommend speaking to a therapist about this because you're going to need to establish some very clear boundaries about this if this made you mad or uncomfortable in any way. If you are codependent with your family (laughs) and you want them involved like this, that's one thing. But for me, I don't want anyone um, being manipulative with my relationship and trying to find things out on my behalf. Doing things on my behalf is not okay. You can ask me questions, but I I just would never be okay with that. So I would speak to a therapist about this. They might be able to help you establish boundaries with your parents so things like this don't happen in the future and just give you tools to work with on this. Um, But this is a hell no for me. I would never allow it. All right, moving on. (laughs) What are your three must-have spring slash summer wardrobe pieces? So in terms of like standard seasonal favorites, I definitely say I gravitate towards pretty midi dresses, either in solid neutrals or pretty floral prints. I love elevated sandals. So usually something flat, but I prefer something in gold or beige and tan, Some sometimes something with an embellishment. I like shoes and sandals that can kind of go day to night. And because I'm tall, I want a pretty option that's flat. If say I'm going on dates, I don't want to be towering over whoever I'm going out with. Um, And then a woven tote. I love raffia and straw totes. I definitely primarily carry those in the spring, summer months. So those are probably the three must-haves. I don't have specific ones for this season, but uh, those are just the things that I like to spend my money on this time of year. All right. Next question. Do you have any tips for waking up early and becoming more of a morning person? So just like with working out, I think in order to be really successful in making a change like this is you've got to make it a habit. So I would suggest waking up at the same time every weekday and establish a good morning routine that you'll look forward to. So make a breakfast that you love, cross your workout off the list first thing in the morning. And honestly, you'll be amazed what this can do to boost your energy and mood in the morning. It feels like you are making a huge accomplishment before the day has even started. So that's why I love working on the morning. It's done for the day. It, it sets me on a good path. Um, another great tip is to avoid sleeping until noon or super late on the weekends because it's so hard to get back on schedule early on Monday if you're sleeping late and going to sleep super late on Sunday night. So I usually wake up at 6.30 most mornings, not on the weekends, but Monday through Friday, I wake up at 6.30. And at night, I try to turn the lights and TV off by 1030. I'm usually in bed by like 930, to be honest. <laughs> and I'll watch TV for like an hour. Um, and this gives my uh, my body a chance to relax. And I don't look at my phone this whole time. So my eyes aren't staring at a super bright screen close up to my face. Um, I think playing on your phone can definitely keep you up later. So I'd suggest plugging your phone in either in the bathroom or just putting it away an hour before you plan to go to sleep to relax your mind a little bit. For me, at least, because I wake up at the same time Monday through Friday, pretty much, I don't sleep super late on the weekends anyway. I might sleep an extra hour, like I might wake up at 7.30 or 8, but my body is so used, like it's a, it's on a clock. It's used to waking up at a certain time. So I it's rare unless I stay out super late or I'm hungover or whatever that I'll like sleep really late. So 
I think consistency is key. Make it a habit. Uh, Go to sleep at normal hours. Don't be playing on your phone until three in the morning. Shut the TV off at a reasonable time. I just establish a routine. Next question. Do you have any plus size brand suggestions? Yes. And I'm certainly happy to share things that I found when searching for items to post on my blog and Instagram, but because I'm not plus size myself, I can't really speak to the quality fit or, you know, anything else about these labels other than just what I see and what looks cute. But on the more budget friendly side, check out Eloquy, H&M Plus, Mango has a plus size line. J Crew has a lot of items up to 3X. Madewell does as well. Uh, J- Draper James has a lot of plus size friendly items. There's ASOS Curve. And then Target also has um, plus size pieces. I specifically like the stuff in the Who What Wear collection. And also all of the designer collaborations, they do usually have plus size options in all of the items. So keep an eye out for those. Like the Christopher John Rogers one they did. I want to say that was last year. It could have been in 2020, but They did the Lisa Marie Fernandez. They had a bunch of really cute dresses. I bought several of them in 2020 and those all came up to a three or four X, I believe. So keep an eye out on those. And then for more contemporary slash high-end labels, check out Tanya Taylor, Veronica Beard, Vince, Reformation, Henning, and Eleven Honoré. Another question, what's been the most effective thing for weight loss slash body changes for you? So first off, I'm not a nutritionist or a personal trainer. So take what I say with a grain of salt. But for me, the best thing has been to consistently work out and eat healthy foods, which seems pretty standard and like common sense. But when I'm eating a lot of vegetables, salads, fruit and lean meats and avoiding starchy carbs, dessert and a lot of sugar and a lot of alcohol, I generally look and feel better. And then as far as working out goes, I've tried it all, but the most effective ones I've done have been in the sweat app. And I've said this a lot, so I'm not going to like wax nostalgic about it. But the reason why it's so great is because it's actually a program. The workouts in the sweat app, each program is run by a different instructor, but they're set up to be progressively more challenging every week. And so you really start to notice a difference as you keep doing harder and harder workouts. You don't always get the same structure like that from going to the gym or even doing a Pilates class, for example, because they're teaching a bunch of people. Everyone might be at different uh, fitness levels. While there's structure in that it's a class and it's teacher led, it's not necessarily getting progressively more difficult each week you take the class. So it's just That's really, I think, the best way I can explain it. And I go into more detail about the sweat app on my blog. So if you go to the stylescribe.com and go to the lifestyle section and fitness, you'll find several posts on this on this app. But I can't recommend it enough if you are looking to make changes and you want to see you want to see physical changes pretty quickly. This is a very effective program. All right. Next question. Do you have a monthly shopping budget you stick to? So as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I am a fashion blogger. So part of my job is buying clothes, talking about them, linking to them. And I've never really given myself a budget. A lot of the items I have to order end up getting returned, whether that's because it's part of a collaboration or I just order a bunch of stuff to try that ended up not working. So like, for example, last month I did a spring dress haul. I ordered a bunch of dresses and then did a video trying them all on. I did not keep all of them. I think I kept one or two because it was a it was a try on. I wasn't planning to keep them all. So 
that is kind of hard to budget because I'm planning to return half the stuff. I do keep an eye on my spending. Luckily, all, you know, all forms of payment, whether it's a debit card, credit card, you could see statements online and keep track of purchases. And I do that. But because there's so much returning and buying going on, it's a little hard to budget and it's part of my job. I'm supposed to be shopping. So (laughs) I don't really put a limit on myself unless I'm trying to also make other big purchases like furniture or traveling, which is kind of all over the place right now. I haven't spent a lot on furniture recently because I've just been trying to build my savings back up after a really big year. (laughs) And travel, it's starting to pick up again, but I really haven't spent that much on that. So I've been a little more kind of carefree about spending on clothes lately. But to answer your question, no, I don't really budget myself uh, for clothes because it is part of my job and I feel like I'm constantly buying and returning stuff. All right, next question. What's your favorite thing you've seen at a wedding as a guest? So the things I personally notice the most at weddings are the flowers, the band slash music or DJ, and then the food and drink situation. I wouldn't say I've totally kept tabs or taken notes on things from all the weddings I've been to, but the ones that have been the most fun have had the best bands and like the best food and drink set up. For example, one wedding I went to, which was in Cabo, by the way, had a fun little cocktail reception for the guests before the ceremony started. And it was such a cool detail that kept the whole thing from feeling too stuffy and formal. It was a destination wedding, of course. So there was sort of a, an underlying, more casual, fun vibe to it than maybe a church wedding would be. But it was just such a fun detail that everyone seemed to enjoy. It allowed everyone to get a little loose and relax and just it felt like a vacation. I really enjoyed that. All right. Here's the next question. What are your suggestions for building a wardrobe for a new college grad? So I definitely think my answer sort of depends on your career path. So if you're planning to work in a super corporate traditional nine to five job, I'd probably recommend more polished tailored pieces you could use for work or wear on the weekend. For example, clean denim, stylish tailored blazers, chic basics like solid tees and camis, ballet flats, pumps, etc. So just overall more sophisticated, you know, polished pieces. Now, if you work for a startup or you work in as a creative or you're freelance or work from home, I'd probably suggest a more casual dressed down version of what I just said. So For example, a utility jacket, jean jacket, or moto jacket instead of a tailored blazer, a mix of denim styles, so not just clean skinny jeans, but some distressed or fun silhouettes. Um, I'd suggest cute sneakers and more trendy accessories like fun uh, muled sandals, slides, whatever, um, trendy handbags. But either way, I think it's important to own pieces that can be styled a bunch of different ways. And the easiest way to do that is to start with classic silhouettes in solid neutrals. So once you have a good foundation of things like jeans and pants, tops, sweaters, jackets, shoes, and bags, you can sort of start adding more colorful, trendy options here and there, depending on the season. All right. Do you have any tips for surviving long haul flights in the main cabin? For example, DFW to Tokyo. Honestly, (laughs) Ambien. Jokes aside, (laughs) I personally cannot sleep on planes. So I definitely need a sleep aid for those long haul flights. And I think most airplanes these days have TVs on the back of each seat in coach. So at least you're able to entertain yourself while you're awake. 
but sleeping has always been the biggest problem for me. So I would definitely, if you can get your hands on a sleep aid, whether that's something over the counter or if you can get a prescription for it, it really, really has helped me maintain my sanity and travel. It also, I occasionally will take it the night I get there just to make sure that I go to sleep at a reasonable hour. And I, it just helps me from getting too jet lagged. Another thing I always do for long haul flights is to bring healthy snacks with me to the airport. So whether that's sliced apples or um, I, I've mentioned this on the blog and in my Instagram stories before, but we have a place in Dallas called the Juice Bar and they have these salads to go in smoothie cups. And so I put one of those in a Ziploc bag in the smoothie cup and we'll eat that on the plane because airport and plane food isn't great for you. And I just don't want to be eating shit food for 24 hours. It messes with my digestive system. And I'm not um, This is so much information. I'm usually very regular, <laughs> but when I travel, I tend not to be as regular. And so eating things with a lot of water in them, like apples, eating more greens and salads, um, that usually helps when I'm traveling. So I would definitely pack your own snacks so you're not resorting to the chips and starchy, unhealthy items at the airport. I also buy usually several bottles of water um, at the airport before I get on the plane, because even though they're serving water the whole time on the plane, you may, you may not be awake for it. When you wake up, you want to have it right there with you. I also like to drink more than they give me. So <laughs> Um, it'll keep me from getting too dehydrated and bloated once I get there. So just, I think that's always smart to have extra water with you on the plane. Um, and then some other things I always do is I bring an eye mask for sleeping. I always bring lip balm. Cause like I said, I get super dehydrated on flights and my lips get so chapped and that's one of my, an, a big pet peeve of mine, I guess. Um, and then if you want to keep your skin looking good, you could also pack a sheet mask or two because those flights are long and you might as well keep your skin pampered while you're watching TV. <laughs> All right, here's the next question. What's the best way to justify temporarily slash permanently moving to a new city for remote work to a company? I've never done this myself, so I'm not sure I'd be the best person to ask. But with that said, I think it all comes down to how long you've been at the company and how well you've established yourself as a reliable employee. So if you've built a good reputation while working remotely and have been at the company for a long time, I don't feel like you'd have too much trouble with this request unless it goes against the company's rules for some reason or there's something in having to do with taxes like that could potentially be an issue depending on where you're moving to like in, not income tax necessarily, but if the company, is it based there? I don't know. Uh, you might want to look into that before you request. Uh, but I'd position it as being a quality of life change. So closer to family, for example, and say you'd be the exact same employee, just in a different home in a different city. I would be sure to come to the table with examples of how you've gone above and beyond in your role and that you'll continue to do this in the new city. To show examples, be prepared to show examples of why you think you deserve this opportunity to to move cities and that you'll be real, as reliable as you, reliable as you've always been. And yeah. All right. Here's the next question. Can you share how you got Reese's to use the puppy treadmill? So this is something she actually learned at Bevel Dog Behavior. So I can take no credit for this. Um, and I did not teach her myself. 
She was at boot camp for six weeks. And while they do walk the dogs often with the amount of dogs they teach at once, using treadmills just makes more sense and can be done no matter the weather. So they have multiple treadmills at Bevel Dog Behavior. And I'm sure they do this at other dog training facilities. Um, but they taught her how to use the treadmill. So when I brought her home, I just started using one right away so she wouldn't forget how to use it. And it's been a great go-to for bad weather days or if I'm not feeling well, like when I had COVID, I put her on the treadmill quite a bit. Um, but basically all I do now that she's learned how to do it, I just lead her onto the treadmill with her leash. She wears a slip lead leash when she is on the treadmill because um, it will communicate with her that she can't get off basically. So. I'll lead her on the treadmill and then I'll tie the leash to the bar that's on the treadmill so she is attached to it and can't just jump off. But I put the speed at 1.4, which is what Brad suggested, and she just starts walking. And if you're wanting to teach your dog to do this, you could contact Bevel Dog Behavior for a consultation or you could Google it. There are tons of YouTube videos and information about this online. So Google it if you want to see videos about it. But Um, Bevel Dog Behavior is the one who taught her. All right. The next question is, how do you break in new shoes, particularly flats? So (laughs) I am sure there are other and better ways to stretch them out slash wear them in, but I just wear them. Um, Depending on the shoe, they may rub on a spot and I'll usually have to use blister band-aids for a couple of wears, but generally they become pretty comfortable after a few wears. So, but if you, if you want a better answer, (laughs) I would ask, Um, a cobbler, somebody at a shoe hospital near you who works on shoes because they may be able to stretch the shoes for you or give you a product that'll help with that. But I'm just lazy and I just wear them in. So, all right. How frequently do you wash your clothes after wearing them? How do you keep them fresh? So I sort of just eyeball it. It totally depends on the type of year though. So like in the summer, I wash and dry or wash and dry clean dresses and tops almost after every wear because it's so hot here and I usually get sweaty in some way. But in the winter, I can usually wear a sweater or dress a couple of times before dry cleaning it unless it gets visibly dirty or I've gone out and like partied in it or whatever. But if I've just like worn it to lunch or something, I won't usually dry clean it. And I definitely wear my jeans multiple times before washing them, maybe an entire week before washing them. But it again, it d- depends on the time of year and what I'm doing, how often I wash things. But when I do wash things at home, I use the laundress products. They are so luxe and smell amazing, particularly the number 723 and the Le Labo collaboration. Those detergents are super fragrant and make my clothes smell incredible. It's expensive, but it's worth it. I just buy it in bulk. It's great. Okay, I'm going to end this Q&A episode on the funniest one. Uh, Fuck, Mary kill Grey's Anatomy edition. So McDreamy, McSteamy, and Avery. This is probably going to be a very unpopular answer. <laughs> but fuck McSteamy, marry Avery, and kill McDreamy. I've given this a lot of thought, you guys. So even though it's hard to separate the Eric Dane and Grey's Anatomy from the Eric Dane and Euphoria, he was so sexy and iconic as Mark Sloan. Like, I will never get over him walking out of the bathroom in a towel. He's <laughs> so hot. And literally everyone he slept with on the show said he was amazing, even godlike in bed. So he definitely fits in the fuck category, in my opinion. I chose Avery to marry, not only because he's a beautiful specimen of a human being, 
but also because he had such a good heart on this show and the women kept treating him poorly. Remember when Lexi was still in love with Mark, but dated Avery anyway? She basically like let him on for a whole season. And then when April ditched him, not once but twice for the army, that really bummed me out too. Now those were extenuating circumstances because they, you know, their baby had died. It was very sad, but he was grieving too. And she basically just left and that bummed me out and they didn't end up getting back together. And they did get together at the very, very end when they both left the show. But he just he got the short end of the stick in both of those relationships. And I think he deserved better. He was always really sweet to the girls that he was dating. And one very important point to me wanting to marry Avery, he is loaded. Thanks to his grandfather and mother's success, there is a lot of generational wealth in the Avery family. (laughs) So With all of those reasons, I think it makes sense to marry Avery. But let's talk about McDreamy for a minute. While I love McDreamy, with all the points I've made above, it just makes sense to kill him. He and Meredith's relationship was all over the place. And not just because of her quote unquote daddy issues, but because he couldn't make up his damn mind. He was desperate to be with her until Addison served him divorce papers. Then he decided to give his marriage another shot. Then when that ended and they were finally ready to be together, he used her almost drowning in the ferry crash as a reason to not be with her, which seems like the wrong thing to tell someone who might be suicidal. Um, And then later when they're finally married, there were several occasions where it seems like he may leave her when she messed up with the trial for Adele, when she decides she wants to stay in Seattle and he goes to D.C. alone. So anyway, needless to say, their relationship gave me whiplash from all the back and forth bullshit. He wasn't consistent or reliable. And I totally get why Meredith didn't trust him. Sure, he's McDreamy, but I just got to kill him. guys that's it for this week's episode just a reminder to call in with any questions you have to the beck and call hotline the number is 214-620-0473 and please be sure to rate review subscribe and share the podcast it means so much to me and makes a huge difference so thank you to all of you who've taken the time to write a review share the podcast on instagram and tagged the instagram page which is at beck and call podcast Be sure to follow on there and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.